Let's take our seats. Thank you, Harry, Stephen, Lauren, Ruth, Margaret, and Dave. God bless you. If you're warm tonight and you have a jacket still on, be free to take it off, loosen your tie, just make yourself comfortable. And we have two scriptures, just two verses, but we'll keep our Bibles open for we'll be referring to quite a, a lot of scripture tonight. The first reading is in Exodus chapter 31, please. Exodus chapter 31. There are stories behind both of these verses, but uh, we'll mention as we go along and see how the Lord opens them up to us. But Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. And he gave unto Moses, that is Yahweh, Almighty God. And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, Two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. If you'll flick over to the book of Numbers, please. The book of Numbers for our second reading, our second verse. Numbers chapter 11. And again, we'll just lift out a verse, but keep your Bibles open at Numbers chapter 11, please. Let your eye run down to verse 23. And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. Let's pray. Father, we know that the reading of your own word in public will always, always find its target. And it will never, never return unto thee void. Lord, it will not be fruitless, but Lord, it will be fruitful. And so we pray tonight, Lord, for the fruit of not our labours, but the fruit of your Spirit and the Word of God be found in this house tonight. We pray, Lord, that if there's one who has not yet come to know your Son as his his or her own Lord and personal Saviour, we pray tonight that they will give themselves to Christ. May they bow the knee at the foot of the old rugged cross and trust in the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The blood which he shed is more than enough. And so tonight, Lord, we ask you to move in our midst and, Lord, apply your own word again, even as you see fit to those who are maybe weary, those who are maybe weak, those who are maybe doubting, distressed or discomforted. Lord, we ask you, Lord, to those who are maybe wandering or backsliding, we pray in Jesus' name that you would speak to them in only the way that you know how to and in only the way that you can. Draw them to thy own self, Lord. And Lord, teach us tonight. Instruct us tonight. Lead us tonight, Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in everything. We ask all this in giving you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak this evening and more than likely it will go into two weeks on the hand of God and the finger of God. In Exodus 31 and verse 18 it says, And he gave unto Moses, when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone written with the finger of God. Notice, written with the finger of God. God gave to Moses, God gave to Israel 
the Ten Commandments on two tables of stone after he had communed with Moses, after he had a heart-to-heart, a one-to-another, face-to-face, as it were, discussion with him upon Mount Sinai, then comes the finger and power of God and gives the law or the Ten Commandments. But then we have in our other reading in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 23. And the Lord said unto Moses, Is the Lord's hand waxed short? There is the question that God asks Moses. Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Then he goes on to make a declaration. Thou shalt see now whether my words shall come to pass unto thee or not. In other words, the Lord says, have I waned Moses? Have I changed Moses? Am I different Moses? Am I not the same God who brought thee out of Egypt? The hand of the Lord as many times is mentioned in scripture or the hand of God. And after Yahweh or Almighty God had brought Israel out of Egypt with an outstretched arm, with a strong hand, showing his glory, showing his power and his might unto them, Israel are so quickly changed, so quickly have they become a company of murmurers, a company of groaners, a company of complainers. They start to wonder, is God the same? Is God the same who brought us out of Egypt? Is God the same tonight as he brought us out of Egypt? Is God the same when we're in the wilderness? Israel are crying, where are you, Lord? Are you the same? They murmur against God and they complain. I just think in your own life, the times, the things, the ways that God has come through for you. Think of the prayers that has been answered. And think of the strength of God in your life. Then suddenly when we seem to be a certain distance down the road, we wonder, where are you, Lord? Are you really? Are you truly the same as you were when you answered my prayer? Are you the same as you were when you healed that person or changed that circumstance? Are you the same, O God? We're told in Numbers chapter 1. Uh, Chapter 11, rather, and verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord, and the Lord heard it. Here God has done mighty wonders. Here God has brought them out with an outstretched arm, with a strong hand, showing sign and wonder, plagues in Egypt. They're untouched in their camp. He brings them through, opens the Red Sea, Brings them across and dry land. He has them on the other side. Victory over after victory over their enemies. Then suddenly they get a little bit of doubt. They start complaining before Almighty God. God wasn't happy with their lack of faith. In fact we're told it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it. The term here it displeased the Lord It is made up of two Hebrew words. The first word is the word ra, which means bad or evil. Bad or evil. And it comes from the root word ra, which means to break into pieces 
or good for nothing. Now you know what it's like when something is wasted and it's good for nothing. It's fit to be thrown out. It is fit to be thrown out. The first word for this term, it displeased the Lord, is the word which means evil, bad, broken to pieces, good for nothing. The second word is the word ozen, and it means to broaden, to advertise, to speak or to give or to hear from an audience. In other words, the whole company started to complain. Now you know what it's like when you advertise something. It's for as many people as possible can know what you're selling, know where you're going, know what you're doing. It's to put it out there that you would have a wider, a greater or a bigger audience. So the term here at this please the Lord, the complaining was simply bad press in the ears of the Lord. It was bad press. Israel's complaining was bad press. It was an evil report brought before God. Do you ever wonder, even Christian, what it is like in the ears of God when you don't believe who he is? Do you ever wonder what it is like in the report you're giving when you give a bad report about the things of God? A bad lifestyle? A bad walk? A bad advertisement for Christ and for the church and for his kingdom. Do you ever wonder what it's like when your mouth is wrong, when you're swearing and speaking wrong, when you're casting down others and speaking behind backs and putting in the knife and others are hearing it and they're saying, it's a bad report for your God. It's a bad report. It's an evil report and it's a wider audience. Wonder what our God thinks tonight when he looks at Great Britain. When he looks at this whole gay marriage thing that's happening. Wonder what our God thinks when he sees little babies aborted in these clinics. I wonder what our God thinks when he sees of the violence and the, the hatred and the malice that goes on in our little nation. I wonder what sort of bad report there is about God even of our nation to other nations. Are we giving a bad report about our God? Are we demeaning and belittling the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God? I wonder what sort of report we have within our own village. What sort of report we have and for the glory of God. Do you believe, Christian, with all your heart that God is alive? I've paused in purpose. Do you believe with all your heart that our God is the same yesterday and today and forever? Do you believe with all your heart that our God hears and answers every prayer? Do you believe with all your heart that he says, I am the Lord, I change not? Do you believe it with all your heart that wherever you're going and whatever you're doing, wherever you have been, that God sees and knows and hears it all? Do you believe with all your heart when you're praying for your family to get saved that God's going to come through for you? That God's going to change the circumstances. God's going to meet the need. God's going to bless your household. God's going to bring you into a ministry that's going to touch the lives and the hearts of others. 
Christian, this is what the body of Christ is all about in our nation. Going out there and showing not a bad or an evil report to an audience, but showing the glory of God in the midst of the house of God from the people of God. What sort of report are we giving? This meant that the complaining was a bad press. It was an evil report. Speaking a negative about God is an evil report. It was as though the great deliverance from Egypt. It was though the Lord's mighty strong hand bringing them out. And the parting off the Red Sea. And all of the plagues. And there was light in Goshen when there was darkness in Egypt. And all the cattle of all of God's people were unhurt and unharmed. And when the blood of the Lamb was upon the doorposts and the door lintels of the house. That not one, not one single firstborn was killed in all of the households of Israel. That was a good report, and now they have forgotten it. I still believe in the blood of the Lamb. I believe there's power in the blood tonight. I believe the blood still avails for me and for my family and for every sinner that comes under the fountain of shed blood. He will bring a good report to the kingdom of God, of our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in the blood. And the power of the blood, I believe that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Here they have a bad report, forgetting, forgetting what God had done. The great deliverance for them was not greatly appreciated, and it seemed to them as good for nothing. Good for nothing. Every time. We have a lack of faith in God. I'm not talking about times when we're struggling. We all struggle. But you just downright don't believe. It's a bad report. It's a bad and an evil report before God. It's time the church stood up and says, Lord, I might not be up to much, but you're up to everything. You are almighty God. And nothing in myself But I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Here we have this great deliverance was not greatly appreciated and it seemed to them as good for nothing. Look at Numbers 11 and verse 1. And when the people complained it displeased the Lord and the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled. Do you know what that tells me? If you were to go and you go camping and you didn't have your, 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 your lighter or your matches to light your fire to cook food on. or to, I know we are all modern and high tech now. We just do the little gas stove. But if you wanted to go the old way and you're gathering together, you gather together the tools, you gather together the implements, the things to light and the kindle is what sets the flame of fire. So it means that it wasn't just by one mistake. It wasn't just by one little fainting fit. It wasn't just by one little time that Israel had decided to complain about, about God and to God. It was over and over and over again. And God's fire was kindling within him. Ungrateful, unthankful people. The anger was kindled, notice this, and the fire of the Lord burnt among them. Now this is of the utmost importance. Listen, 
And the fire of the Lord burnt among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. Notice this. The fire was among them. But it consumed those who were on the uttermost parts of the camp. I'll say it again. The fire was right through. God's anger was right through. God's fire was coming in wrath. He was angry. But it was at the outskirts, the outermost parts of the camp where God fell on them. See, the word here for uttermost is a word kotes in the Hebrew. And it means the extremities of the camp. Right at the very outside of the camps of Israel. Now listen, when you think of camps, and I think of camps, we see nice wee pictures, and a few wee tents, north, south, east and west, and a tabernacle in the middle. It all looks picturesque and lovely. There was two and a half to three million souls here. In other words, you're talking almost double the population of the whole of Northern Ireland in the Israel camp. And in the centre... And in the middle, at a later, state, a later stage, would be the very tabernacle of God's presence with the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. And those on the extremities were those who were playing with the things of God. Playing with the things of God. One foot in the worship and one foot in the world. They were saying, I'm here, but I'm not. For when God was centralized in the middle of Israel, we're told that those who went would have to go to where the tabernacle was. They had to press in to the glory of God. There's not too many people want to press into the glory. They're happy to stay on the outskirts. They're happy to come and go as they please. They're happy just to take or leave the things of God. But I want to warn you tonight, friend. Don't mess around with the things of God. Don't mess around with the anointing of God. And don't mess around with the word of God. Don't mess around with God. Don't mess with him. For he is not one to be messed with. It means the extremities. It also means just simply to cut off. The uttermost parts of the camp was the cut off part of the camp. You know what it's like? Well, I don't because I don't bake. But some of you ladies are really good at baking. And you get your apple tart or wherever you're baking. You put that top part over the apple cake when all the apple's inside. And you do what you do. Your fancy bits around the outside. But there's that bit that overlaps. And you get your wee knife or what do you need? You just cut off around the outskirts of the plate and there's a, a circle part of it or whatever falls off. I usually get it when all that's over. That is the extremity. That's what it means to cut off. Here in the Israel camp there was a cut off. The tabernacle would later be placed at the centre of the camp and God's presence God's glory would be there you know what he says to Moses he said Moses I will meet you there I will speak unto you there the glory would come down and the people wanting to see the glory cloud wanting to see the fire out of heaven the glory of the Shekinah light on the tabernacle would have to press in and travel to get there. In other words, they'd have to make an effort. 
You have to make an effort. So herein is a lesson for all of us tonight. If we want to have unhindered fellowship with the Lord, the Lord Jesus must be the center. I'll say it again. The Lord Jesus Christ must be the center. The center of our life, the center of our will, the center of our thoughts and ideas and motives, the center of our ways, and he must be the center of our worship. He must be the center. When Christ is in the center, we are secure in our faith, we are mature in our ways, and he will make us insured of our victories. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Christ must be at the center. Here's the thing. The Bible tells us when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane by the Roman soldiers, he's taken to the high priest, Annas and Caiaphas, taken to their house, and all of the disciples run, and we're told, and Peter followed afar off. And Peter followed afar off. In other words, Peter was at the extremity of leaving. What did he say just minutes, an hour or two ago? In that same garden with the Lord. The world should leave thee. Yet will I not leave thee. Yet I will go unto prison or even unto death for thee. Oh, how the heart doth fool us. And how only God knows that heart. If you stay in the extremities of the church, i.e. stay in the extremities of the worship, of the praise and of the centralized meeting house, if you stay in the extremities or the outermost part of the camp, if you stay following Christ from afar off, you could be like Peter, for when one thin wall separated him and Christ at the judgment hall, Christ said, I do not know the man, and he heated his hands at the devil's fire. He heated his hands at the devil's fire. Peter followed afar off and he denied Christ thrice. Those on the extremities of the church are in danger of devilish attacks. They are in danger of trials and temptations and failing and falling at every one of them. For only Christ as our great high priest and his high priestly prayers through the spirit and the word can bring us through. Don't think you can get through on your own. Don't think you can get through your day without the Lord Jesus Christ. For only he can bring you through. We are here by grace. Sovereign grace and by nothing else. It's all of him and nothing of ourselves. Those who do not keep a Christ-centered life. They live a life on the extremity. They live a life on the edge of existence with a diluted or a diluted love for him, with a disputed faith for him, or in him, and with a deluded people who think they're all right with him. Now, where are we? Maybe you're not saved tonight. You're way outside the camp. 
You could live with a people who do not want the responsibility of the word of God. They do not want the reliability of faithful service. Nor to accept their accountability before God that one day we will all stand before Almighty God our Father. And through the Lord Jesus Christ he will judge the world. God trimmed up. God cut off the extremity of the camp because they were a faithless hindrance. I want to say it again. They were a faithless hindrance. They were leaven that would leaven the whole lump. And God knew it. Why did the fire of God go through the midst of the camp and stop at the uttermost part of the camp or at the extremity of the camp and wipe them out? Why did the fire of God that was in the midst not wipe them out, but yet wipe out at the outskirts, the extremities. You see, the sun, the sun that melts the wax is the same sun that hardens it. You think about that. And God speaks to a heart. You need me to save you. You can't be saved in your own merit. You need to come to my son. And the Holy Ghost starts to draw you. And the sun starts to melt the hardened wax. But after a while you find the heart becomes hardened. Like the hardened wax in the sun too long. Is your heart hardened before God? Listen to what Jesus said in John 15 and 6. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. In other words, if you're not in Christ, if you're not in Christ, now I want to tell you something. If you're a born again believer, I mean saved by sovereign grace, you are secure in Christ. But if you're someone who says, ah, well, I put my hand up or I walked up an aisle and I said a wee prayer, but my life hasn't changed. You need to look at where you are. Are you on the extremity of the camp? For if you're not saved, you will wither, you will fall away from God, you will follow afar off then go further into sin and you will be gathered up on that day and burned in fire. You know why? For you were never in Christ. For you were never in Christ. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 4 says this. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? Here is the influence of the unsaved. And the influence they had on God's people. They yearned for Egypt. They longed for the things of Egypt. But they are ungrateful, despising the provision and the blessing and the providence of Almighty God when he sends manna, angels, food in the wilderness. This isn't enough for me. Christ is never enough for me. This whole life is just, I want more than that. I want the things of the world. I want Egypt. I want Egypt. See the heart that desires constantly after Egypt. They never knew Christ. They never knew him. Now none but Christ can satisfy. None other name for me. There's love and life and lasting joy, Lord Jesus, found in thee. Here, the mixed multitude. See, if you look it up in the Hebrew, the word mixed, don't give the idea there was a collective rabble. 
you know what some of these might have done? They might have, through fear, wandered after Israel when they came out of Egypt from the shed blood of the lamb and the doorpost. Well, you know, if God's with them, I think I'm going, let's get religious, boys. <laughs> There's a lot of people who have got religion. But are those who have relationship? They have Christ. Or they may have heard by faith. Listen, if you put the blood on the doorpost and the door lintels, when the death angel's passing through Egypt tonight, the Lord says, when I see the blood, I will pass over thee. And it might have seemed a ridiculous tale, but through maybe some form of guilt or some form of superstition, they have put the blood on the doorpost and on the door lintels of the house, and the Lord has passed over. For he didn't say, when I see who you are, or what you can do, or where you become. He said, when I see the blood. God only recognizes the blood. Just the blood. Nothing else. I will pass over you. Maybe they came out that way. Nevertheless, there was a religious, and they weren't Israel's religion, as in they didn't worship Jehovah Yahweh God. And they came out, they were a collective rabble of unsaved men and women, and they turned the heart of Israel. You're seeing that in our nation tonight when you see those mosques going up. They have turned the heart of our nation. They have turned the heart of our people. This rabble turned our heart. I want to say, you need to watch your company and who you're sitting with. Or it might just turn your heart. Get someone who's a good friend or someone in the company with those who are of the same or greater level of spirituality loving the Lord Jesus Christ than you. Someone who knows the Lord. Get into their company and build each other up. Build each other up. Here's the question. Do you, do we want the world and what the world has? Do we want what the Lord has for us? What is it we want? God said he would send flesh for one month and it would come out of their nostrils. He says, you want flesh? They were crying. We want flesh. We don't want what you've given us. We don't want manna. Your your gifts are not good enough for us. And by the way, are you still the same? Boy, you hear that everywhere, don't you? He doesn't do that anymore. He's not the same anymore. Well, then that's against what God's word says. For he said he's the same. So I believe him. I believe him. I have to hurry here. Time's flowing on. In the reading, read Numbers 11 when you go home. They're wanting flesh. God's provision isn't enough. You see, people try even to be saved on their own merit and who they are and going to church and what they can do. And, you know, they get a bit of superstition. And, well, the blood and the, the, the doorposts and the lintels, I'll try that. And they follow God's people for a while, but suddenly they start to realize, this Jesus thing, this church, I don't know. And they become a mixed rabble and start to pull the hearts of people. Moses declares, and I'm going to paraphrase this. You can read it when you go home from Numbers 11, verses 21 to 23. But Moses declares this. He says, the Lord. Notice Moses' heart. Notice even how Moses, it's gotten to him. 
The best of us can be pulled down by those who are unsaved. Notice what Moses says. He says, and again paraphrasing, he says, we have 600,000 footmen. All these big soldiers. What are you going to feed us with, Lord? He says, if you take all the flocks and all the herds and all the fish of the sea. Now they're in a desert. But if you take them all, Lord, and land them at our door, it still wouldn't feed all of these mouths. It's impossible, God. So you can't do anything about it. Now here's the hand of God. Verse 23, And the Lord said unto Moses, Oh, you can feel the Lord angry at Moses. The Lord listening and he's going, Oh, Moses, you need to learn some. And if Moses needs to learn, how much more do you and I? Listen to what the Lord says. Is the Lord's hand waxed short? (laughs) Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Here's the question. You friend tonight, do you think God's hands waxed short in the year 2013? I have a big problem. I have much to face. I've sinned too much. I've led a life of sin and God couldn't save me. Is that right? Then the Lord's hand is waxed short in your eyes. But yet he's remained the same. Is the Lord's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether my word shall come to pass unto thee or not. This reminds me of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 9 when he's in the wilderness and the multitude have followed him. 5,000 men beside women and children up to 15,000 mouths to feed. And there's only five barley loaves, two small fish. And he says, go get them something to eat. Lord, we're in the desert. Where do we go? Send them home. They're going to faint. The Lord says, give me the lunch. Into the hands of Almighty God goes five barley loaves and two small fish. And he feeds them all, every single one of them. The Lord's hand was not waxed short. The Lord's hand had not waxed short. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 59 and 1 declares... Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. Nehemiah is in Babylon. He's in captivity. He stands before the king. He's afraid to put a foot wrong in case the king orders him dead. And he realizes that Jerusalem is in need of his services. But he's afraid to see the king and he picks up the courage. And he says to the heathen king, O king Nebuchadnezzar, but my people need me. That's me paraphrasing it. King Nebuchadnezzar melts before Nehemiah in the presence of God. And listen to what Nehemiah says in Nehemiah chapter 2 and verse 8. Because he gives him leave to go. He says, the good hand of my God was upon me. The good hand of my God. Even in a heathen land, God can rescue men and women. Job chapter 12 and verse 10. Job speaks of the Lord, he says, In whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Job says to you and I tonight, Do you realize Every time your lungs are going in and out filling with air. Every time you blink your eyes and your heart beats within your chest. He says it's because your hand or your, your soul is in the very hand of God. What if God said to you tonight, thy soul shall be required of thee. What if he called your breath tonight? 
Psalm 16 says, In thy presence is fullness of joy, and at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The hand of the Lord or the hand of God speaks of power of God. And the right hand of God speaks of the place of honor, the place of power, and the place of authority. And the Lord Jesus Christ, the crucified, then risen, and ascending Savior in Matthew 28 and verse 18 says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And so he entered heaven glorified, exalted, and worthy. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is our Savior King. He is the king of kings. He is king above all kings and over all kings. Also, he is over and above every redeemed blood-washed saint. For he has made us princes and kings. He has also made us kings and priests unto our God. He's over us tonight. King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the king of heaven. And he is the king of glory. Psalm 10 and 16, David declares, sitting on the throne of Yahweh, Jehovah God himself. That throne of David, listen to what he cries. He says, the Lord is king forever and ever. This is the king of Israel cries. Asaph, Psalm 74 and 12 cries, for God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. Who works salvation? God works salvation. Who is the king? God is the king. Who is the saviour? Jesus is the saviour. He is my saviour king and my God and yours tonight. That's our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah 32 and 1. Behold a king shall reign in righteousness. 33 and 17 he says. Thine eyes shall see the king and his beauty. Jeremiah chapter 10 and 10 says. But the Lord is a true God. He is the living God and an everlasting king. Yes, Christ, he is king. All power is given unto him in heaven and the earth. Revelation 15 and 3 calls him the king of saints. I'm coming to a close. Thank you for your attention. Luke 22 and 69. Listen to the words of Christ. Hereafter, he's going to die on the cross. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. You know what he's saying? See the right hand of the Father, right hand of the power of God. He says, I am going to sit there in the place of authority. And who will we see? We will see Jesus. He says in Matthew 26 and in verse 64, Hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power coming in the clouds. Isn't that what you're saying tonight, boys? And Jesus steps out on the clouds to call God's children. The dead in Christ shall rise. Hallelujah. The book of Hebrews says he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1 and 3. Hebrews 8 and 1. He sat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 10 and 12. He sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12 and 2. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Here is Christ as the hand, the mighty power of God. He's sitting in place, power and authority. He is coming again and you and I shall rise to meet the Lord in the air. If we're saved. So what must we do? First Peter 5 and 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. 
Come and say, I need you. I'm not going to stand in your way anymore. I'm not going to rebel against your word. I am going to trust in you. So I close in saying this. The right hand of God speaks of the power, the authority, and the honor of God. But what about the finger of God? And don't worry, we're doing it next week. The finger of God speaks of the skill of God. It speaks of the interested, intricate, detailed work and precision of God. The finger of God speaks of the choice and the election of God. The finger of God speaks of the concentrated commitment of God to what you and I, bringing conviction, convincing and compunction, health, healing and wholeness. The finger of God is the power of the kingdom of God. And when Christ comes and speaks to your heart, you know it. That's the power, the finger of God saying to you. The hand of God does great miracles. The hand of God opens seas and pulls down the walls of Jericho. The hand of God can move nations. The hand of God can do all things. But when that concentrated power comes to you personally, the finger of God says, I want you. I love you. Casting out demons, raising up the sick. Saving men and women's souls is the finger of God to the heart of every man and woman. And maybe the finger of God is saying, now you know that I'm speaking to you tonight. That's the power of God to you. We'll start there next week in the Lord's will. And I want to say if you're not saved, God loves you. And he wants to save you. Will you come to him? Simple faith, will you come and sing a couple of pieces?